0: I love that illustration that Brittany used with the kids. Looking at life from different perspectives is is huge. You know, and the best that we try, limited perspective, right? I mean, we like to think that we would grow in that. We'd like to think that we would mature in that. But the truth is I can only see it, from my place. Now, sometimes we're able to look at other people's lives and have a view, and maybe we see some things because we're not as connected. We can step back in a way and we can have a view, and maybe we see some things because of stuff that we've gone through or because of things that we've experienced before, that we can speak into their lives and we can help them if they're willing to listen. But then ultimately, God's got the perspective that's putting everything together, and it's his perspective that really drives. This whole thing. Last week we did begin our series called Solomon Says and it's a nice little fun game. Maybe that looks a little familiar up there uh, with this little old game. Perhaps you maybe have played this before and uh, in the game Simon it's really just a matter of it does the little uh, light up and makes a noise and you're supposed to follow this pattern and you know the simplicity of that is great because the truth is that's the way it's really designed to work with God. God has given us his word, he set the path before us and we're supposed to choose to follow the things that God has for us in our life. But the truth is we all kind of mess up along the way, right? And it's sometimes in that mistakes and in the messing up that we, we learn that we do need Christ, we do need to do things his way, our way doesn't really work the way that we wished that it would and we begin to understand this truth in life, right, that there's always a choice, Right? There's always a choice, no matter what it is, no matter how much pressure you feel, no matter what it is that you think that you have to get done or what should get done or how it should get done. The truth is there's always a choice and there's there's the choice that we've been looking at here in the book of Proverbs that we're going to see over and over again and really the choice is to do it God's way or to do it our way. And and basically, you can narrow pretty much everything down that you're going to face in life to those two choices. Am I going to do this the way that God designed and the way that God desires for me to do this, or am I going to do this my way? And so as we began this sermon series last week, we looked at some of the reasons that Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived, first of all, because God granted him that. And then second of all, we also know that along the way, even the wisest person who ever lived made mistakes along the way, and Solomon also is able to speak some of these Proverbs of his mistakes. But it says in Proverbs chapter 2 that the reason he wrote these things were for wisdom and discipline. (laughs) Wisdom, way discipline, boo, right? Solomon wrote these things so we could have wisdom, awesome, and discipline, boo, I don't want that. And so Solomon understands the insight here that he can say a lot of good things, but unless we actually put them into practice, they're not going to mean anything. And he set the foundation in chapter 1, verse 7, by saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Of knowledge, basically saying this that I'm going to share all these things with you the God given wisdom that God's given me and the life experience that I have. I'm going to share these things with you, but you need to understand that if they're not built on a foundation of you trying to pursue the Lord, then really it's just a bunch of good sayings that might not amount to much in your life. And that's the thing that you really need to understand. The beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means this. The moment that I've decided that God is God and I am not, I am now on the path to wisdom. The moment that I decide that God is God and I am not and that what Christ has done, he's done for my good and for his glory and so he overcame the power of sin and death and when I acknowledge that he is Lord and I begin to pursue him, then that is the beginning. That's not the end. Like oftentimes we treat it if I've given my life to Christ and now I'm just going to wait to die and go to heaven. It's not what it is. It says the fear of the Lord, the understanding, the respect, the awe, the reverence, the, the right place of God in our lives puts us in the place that we're now standing at the beginning of wisdom. And then as we begin to follow his word and as we begin to pursue God, he then begins to demonstrate over and over and over the path to life. And so Solomon continues on where we're going to pick it up today, starting again in verse 8 of chapter 1. And I want you to pay attention to one of the very first things that comes out of Solomon's mouth <coughs> after he is properly established where God should be in our lives. He then begins to talk about a subject that's true to all of our hearts. Look at this. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, Don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like sheol whole, like those who go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and we'll fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll share all the loot. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path. Because their feet run toward evil and they hurry to shed blood. It's useless to spread a net where any bird can see it. But they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. And look at verse 19 very carefully. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. You see, Solomon begins to talk about a path in life, and he begins to demonstrate that really, as I said earlier, we're either going to choose God's way or we're going to choose our own way. But when you look at it in the context of the path, there's really two paths that you can follow. The first one is the path of wisdom. You can follow the path of Of wisdom, And this is what Solomon is imploring to happen here. Listen, my son, to the teaching of those who have gone before you. Listen to people who've lived life. Listen to those who understand what it is that you're about to be facing. And I'll just say this. I say it all the time to kids, to you, to my own children. At least make different mistakes than I did, right? I may not have gotten everything right. But the path of wisdom would be one who's learned to at least to listen to someone else and follow along the way. And then when you do that, you will, you will gain their favor, you will gain God's favor, and you will be well on your way to wisdom. That's the path of wisdom, is to listen and to follow God's word and God's way. Or then there's the path of foolishness. And the path of foolishness, as you can probably already imagine, is the path that says, I've got this. I've figured this out. I can do this on my own. And here's something that I that I learn every year of life, is that I still haven't figured it out. And, and you know, there's something that's magical about when you're younger, and you you I don't know what that age is or ages were or are for you that you think, man, if as soon as I get to be this old, then I this is going to be awesome. And then you get that old, and you go, well, still dumb, you know, and you just kind of go, I don't know what I'm going to do with this now. I haven't figured it all out. I, I'm still not where I want to be. And and, and for some reason, that's this path of foolishness is when we say, I think that I've got this figured out. I think I can do it my own way. I think that my ways are best. I think that I understand. And you see the problem with the path of foolishness is that I is at the center of it. I, 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 I. Everything becomes about me. And what Solomon's actually saying in this very first section here after he has properly established where Christ should be in our life at the center of it. He then begins to to say something. Look at what he actually says here, talking about the different people who are saying, come follow us. Hey, do this my way. Hey, you can cut some corners. Hey, we can get this. You, You realize what he's saying there is something that has been said in our minds and probably something that has been said by us to our children or if we are children, it's been said by our parents to us. And that's something along the lines of this the character of those you hang out with matters. Amen. The character of those you hang around matters because they're going to have influence in your life. And the more you put yourself around people who are going to give you positive influence, the more likely it is that you're going to walk down the path of wisdom. And the more that you put yourself around people who are going to Point you down the path of foolishness, then more likely it is that you're going to lead to destruction. Now, it's not 100% true all the time, is it? Because I've seen some very godly people try to pour into some people's lives and they don't accept that instruction and they continue to be surrounded, to use the biblical term, by foolishness and yet somehow have found their way out of it by holding on to the Lord and seeing their way out of this. But the percentages are there. You hang around. The wrong kind of people, long people, and it rubs off on you. Things which is going to lead you to a lot of pain. But you hang around the right kind of people, and it rubs off on you. I share this story in my life all the time because it was one of the most vivid examples of that. For me, you may have heard me say this before if you've, if you've heard me share stuff before. But I had a, a, so some of our best friends, mine and Julie's, some of their best friends were Matt and Lori Hatfield. And Lori worked on staff with me at First Baptist Round Rock. And Lori had this response. She was just a wonderful, bubbly personality. And whenever you would ask her to do something, her response was almost immediately, Absolutely. Just absolutely. Hey, can you? Do it? Absolutely. You know, hey, can we do it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was raised with the response, Maybe. <laughs> you know, you ever get that? Hey, Lindell, can you? Maybe. You know, and you're always like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh this out. But here's what I found out after about three months of working in the office with Lori, <clears throat> people would come up to me and go, Hey, Lindell, can you? I go, Absolutely. Where did that come from? It came from hanging around her. And so it's amazing how we, we tend to rub off on things. And so what, what, what Solomon is trying to get here in Proverbs at the very first is you need to understand that there's going to be all kinds of people of the wise people who have gone before who are pouring into your life and listen to them rather than following the path of foolishness. You see, and then there's an under, there's a overarching theme here. And I find it incredibly interesting that it's the first real topic that Solomon covers in the book of Proverbs. And and here's where we'll just summarize it by this way. We'll say it this way. Greed will destroy my life. Greed will destroy my life. Now, You need to understand something about greed. When we hear the word greed, I think we immediately go to finances or go to money, which obviously is a large part of that. But we can be greedy in a lot of areas in life that have absolutely nothing to do with money. Because to me, the essence of greed, as it is explained in this passage, is this, is that we can can satisfy the desires that you have, with a shortcut and you don't have to do this that the wise people are telling you you can find a different way a faster way a better way to get those things and you don't have to go through all of those things that everybody else went through let me entice you with the get rich quick scheme and so anytime that we are enticed to cut corners or to do things in a way that isn't the right way, it's not God's way, we are being greedy to a certain point. Now, obviously, that does have mostly to do with our money and what he's talking about here is the temptation in this particular passage is they're saying, hey, come on, let's take advantage of these people and take all of their stuff. That's what he's saying. Let's take advantage of these people and take all of their stuff. And Solomon warns very clearly that, hey, it's not going to work. They're actually setting a trap for themselves. And it says if you try to make a profit dishonestly, it's actually going to end up taking your life from you. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more as we go into this. But here's what I want to do. Instead of just focusing on the opposite of it, I want to give us a picture of what God has designed and called us to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, here's what we need to understand. The reason the path of greed is so destructive is because it's really the exact opposite of what God has designed and desired for us to be, and that is to be generous. You see, a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a generous person. And we all know that generosity doesn't just talk about our money. Now, it does talk about our money, but it doesn't limit itself there. To be a generous person, you're someone who's willing to give your time. You're someone who's willing to give your talents. You're someone who's willing to give your money and your perspective and your wisdom into things. A generous person we talked about a few weeks ago puts margin in their life so that they don't spend it all on themselves and not have anything left to give anybody else. A a greedy person at at its most... Potent definition to me is someone who is just simply focused on self. And it, it goes beyond just finances. It can go into anything. When you're trying to cut a corner in a relationship to get to a place in a relationship that maybe you shouldn't be at until God's way and God's time in doing that, you're only being greedy and you're leading yourself to destruction. To cut corners at your job, to get things done, or nobody's gonna do this anyway. All you're trying to do is just save a little time or do, you're just being greedy and selfish. You're cutting corners and ultimately it's gonna lead to destruction. It's greed. Profit dishonestly by taking advantage of other people. It's greed. It's what it is. And so I think it's worth noting that the very first thing that Solomon talks to the younger person about is don't be greedy. Because you get greedy, it's going to lead you into all kinds of places you don't want to be. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes about it this way in James chapter 4. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures or, in other translations, on yourself. You see, what God wants for us is to discover that the path to true life is through generosity. And the way that Solomon is saying it is, don't go down the path of greed because it only leads to destruction. But the path of greed really has to do with our own passions and our own desires and how we deal with those things. Here's what we need to understand. We all have passions and desires and wants. But one of the most foolish things I've ever heard in the world, and you hear it over and over all the time, is if I only had more money then. Ever heard that one? Man, this would all solve itself if I only had more money. Really? Now I've actually had to look at people sometimes because I knew them and had a relationship with them. So let me put that big old contextual parentheses on this. People whom I loved and had a relationship with who would come to me all the time, man, if I just had more money, I could do, if I just had more money, and I would honestly have to look at them and go, you haven't learned how to take care of the money you have. So all more money would do would give you more things to mismanage. And then a couple months later when they'd start talking to me again. They would go, wow, there was some wisdom to that. You see, greed is that thing that just makes me think that I can solve this my own way. If I just had more money, if I had a better relationship, if this just happened, if my job did this, if I, anything but God's way, that's greed. And it drives us away. This isn't in my notes, but we've been talking about it in Bible study. And you realize that the essence, what you need to understand, we all have desires, right? And you realize that the essence of living life in a disciplined and successful way in this, in this life is learning to control those desires. But here's the truth, the absolute solid truth. None of us have willpower. Not a single one of us. You want me to prove it to you? You want to know why I know we don't have willpower? Because the fruit of the spirit, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. To me, what that demonstrates is this, is that God has desired us and wired us to have strong passions and desires. And when those are pointed toward him and in a good direction, it brings glory to God. But sin has so disrupted our life that our, our passions and our desires want to lead us down a greedy path. A self-serving path that ultimately leads to destruction. And we like to think that somehow I can discipline myself enough. Fruit of the spirit is self-control in this life. But the word of God teaches clearly that a fruit of the spirit is self-control. Let me translate this back. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All knowledge and discipline begins when you first put God in the proper place in your life. And in pursuing and seeking him, and once God is in that proper place, and in pursuing and seeking him, he blesses you with the fruit of the spirit known as self-control. Then and only then are you able to put your finances in check and stop overeating and maybe exercise a little bit more and love my neighbor as myself and get my relationships in a healthy place and a right place. And but without God, good luck. You may could do it in one or two places. And we gave this illustration in Sunday school this morning. You ever seen that incredibly disciplined athlete who works very hard and signs a contract with a pro team and plays 10 years and makes millions of dollars and retires broke? Because they're incredibly disciplined in some areas, but incredibly undisciplined in others. That's the path of greed. So how do I choose the right path? I know some of you are thinking, you got four minutes to get through these blanks. Watch me. (laughs) How do I choose the right path? First one is this. I need to listen to instruction. Let me just say that again. I need to learn to listen to instruction. Find people in your life who have walked that road before you and listen to their wisdom. I ran a marathon 30 pounds ago, 10 years ago. And I thought that I knew how to run until I tried to run a marathon. And then I had to talk with people and go, how do you do this? And they had to teach me how to buy shoes. I was a 30-year-old man trying to learn how to buy shoes. You, had to, you mean I got to learn how to buy shoes? You got to learn how to buy shoes. They had to teach me how to eat. They had to teach me how to hydrate. They had to teach me how to do all these things. You need to listen to instruction of those who have gone before so that you can be successful in getting to where you're going in life. Find yourself some godly people who've walked that road. Are you having trouble in your marriage? I'm not going to pick on them, but look around this room, and I can tell you so have a lot of these people. Some of the people are on the other side of it and would be glad to speak into your life and say, hey, let me, let me help you with that. I know this hurts. I know this is hard, but this is how you can do this. Having trouble at work? So are some other people in this place. They've walked through that. They've done that in the right way. They can speak into that. I need to learn to listen to instruction. Proverbs life. 20 and 21 says, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. What that proverb is trying to tell us is we can have all the plans in our heart, we can think up all the things, but ultimately it's going to be the Lord's will that prevails in our life. If you want to walk the path of wisdom, then learn to listen to instruction of others. Second thing you need to do is do things the right way, which by the way is God's way. You need to not just take this word and try to understand it. You don't just need to take this word and try to read it. You actually need to take this word and try to live it. When you're going to do things the right way, you're going to do them God's way. And over the past few months, I've shared this thought with you over and over, and hopefully it's beginning to sink in. Sometimes we live in a broken world full of sin, and the best that I can come up with when I compare that to what God's word says, it seems very different. And the way that I've said that is when you begin to pattern your life after the word of God, you're going to first of all find that the word of God is oftentimes countercultural, doing things in a different way than everybody else does. But even at a deeper level than that, God's word is at times going to be very counterintuitive, meaning that I feel like doing it this way, but God, you're telling me to do things like this. Do things I don't feel as yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. Give things away. Do things I don't feel like any of that all the time. But God's word is leading us that. You need to learn to do things the right way, God's way. And when you begin to live this out, you will be choosing the path of wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Now, how about that? Just let that proverb sink in. There's a way that seems right. I, I, this is right. This has got to be right to do. And what Proverb says is yeah, that's the way to death. God's way is the only way to life. So, if we're going to choose the right path, we listen to instruction, we do things God's way, which is the right way. And then here's, here's the kicker for today. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. this is the hardest blank you'll write in all day. Be patient. You see, the essence of what Solomon was saying is, when you try to speed things up and do them just to satisfy the desires of your heart, it is ultimately going to fail. Let me say that again. When you try to speed the process up just to do the things that are going to satisfy the desires that you may have at that point in time, it is ultimately going to fail. Whether it's with your finances, whether it's with your relationships, whether it's with anything else in life. When you try to fast forward things... They don't work. I like to cook. Anybody else like to cook? Love to cook. I really do. I experiment with things. I like slow cook, smoking on the grill, putting a brisket out there, letting it go for hours and hours at a time. I like slow cook. Man, there's nothing better than like a good old roast, right? Anybody roast potatoes, things like that? That's good. I got a thing earlier this year called an instant pot. Anybody got an instant pot? So here's what I've learned. What I used to could cook in a pot that took, eight to 12 hours all day long and get this nice tender roast, I can now do in an hour and a half. But you know what else I've learned? That hour and a half roast cooks like I cooked it, tastes like I cooked it in an hour and a half. (laughs) Sometimes there's just no substitute for letting things marinate and being patient. You can't slow cook something in an hour. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good you are. So there's just some things in life you just gotta learn to be patient with. You may have a situation right now that you're going, God, I just need you to fast forward that. I need to get through this. You just need to learn to be patient. God, I really want this thing right there. You just need to learn to be patient. God's word tells us, Romans chapter 12, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction and be persistent in prayer. God's word over and over and over and over and over and over over tries to teach us that no matter how bad we would want them, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. So because there's no shortcuts, what do we do? We put our trust in God. You see, and to help us do that, you need to understand that there's a difference between immediate results and ultimate results. There's a blank for you. you. need to understand that there's a difference between immediate results, I want this right now, and ultimate results, what's ultimately best. We can work all our life to get immediate result after immediate result after immediate result and ultimately end up in a very bad place. So at times we have to take the perspective and realize that there's an ultimate result that should be driving things and it should be the will and the ways of God. Second Peter says, Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, some of the most profound words you will ever hear spoken about time and its essence and how impatient we are and how we think and feel about time. Look at this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, I go right back to that illustration that Brittany gave. We see it like this. Maybe we can look at others' lives from a little bit more objective position, but ultimately God's got the perspective that's driving everything. And when we see things happening in our life that aren't ultimately working out the way that we wish they would, we need to understand that God has not forgotten us and it will work out in his time if we will give him our trust. But ultimately, if we're going to give him our trust, it all comes down to one question. One question. It's your last blank. Am I satisfied or am I just stewing over things? Am I truly satisfied? Do I truly have a peace that comes with knowing and following God that can be satisfied in the midst of knowing that not everything is resolved right now? But trusting that God will ultimately resolve it. Or is there something that's in my life that just has me gripped so bad that I'm just stewing over it. I can't see past it. I can't get over it. And and I just, I can't move on as long as this thing isn't resolved. Don't you want to learn to live with peace even though things might not all be working out right? church in Ephesus that had a lot of trouble going on, Paul, Timothy, was trying to pastor a church in Ephesus that had a lot of trouble going on. Paul was writing to Timothy to deal with different people and different issues. And in this particular verse, Paul is taking time to write about the people in the church who've been blessed and they kind of have a little bit of wealth. And this is what he writes to them. And look at this as we close this up today. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Say that with me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6 6. Put that one to heart. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say, We brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Look at this. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now this is one of the most misused passages of all times as well, because here's what he's not saying. He's not saying there's anything wrong with wealth. He's not saying there's anything wrong with being rich. He's saying that when that is the pursuit and the desire of your heart, it will lead you to make foolish decisions because you've now put your wealth as God and not God as God. And that's what he's saying. Lead those in the church to understand whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. Godliness with contentment, that's the ultimate. That's the great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And don't follow this path that says Hey, there's a quicker way to do this. There's a faster way to do this. We can satisfy those desires and we can do this thing. We can cut these corners because ultimately it will lead to death. And very specifically, Paul writes about in this money situation, it leads a lot of people astray. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that Solomon deals with in all the Proverbs is greed? Because it's an issue for all of us. We all have desires that we want to see filled, but hear me on this. God's way and God's time. Have you put your trust in him?